Let's turn in our Bibles to two very familiar passages of Scripture. And I need the saints of God to help me tonight. We're going to turn in Romans chapter 12. Be reading in verses 1 and 2. Many of you could quote it. We're going to read this verse of Scripture, and then we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Amen. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Today I want to teach a little lesson that hopefully I'll, with time, be able to get through as much as possible. But with time again, even after this service is over, I want God to, and he's been dealing with me in many different facets of this lesson, and it'll probably turn into a series of sorts. But I'm going to talk to us tonight about don't die a copy. Don't die a copy. The Bible encourages us to be a designer's original. Amen. If we could lay our Bibles down in this Bible study, asking God to bring revelation to our hearts, asking Him to reach down and touch us, can we lift our voices, our worship unto Him. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Don't die a copy. We think it is our alarm clocks that wake us up each morning. However, it is God that gives each and every one of us a brand new day that we get to partake of something that no one has ever seen. We think we understand these days because we get a forecast for the days ahead. We have plans in our life of days ahead. And we have so many things that we can build ourselves for the days coming that we feel like we have a grasp, an understanding of the schedule. We understand how much gas is in our vehicles, whether we have to stop or we can drive continuously to work without having to make a stop for fuel. We understand so many things. We've picked out the outfits or the clothes you're going to wear in preparation. You've selected your lunch. You have things that you have laid out. But yet God, in his infinite wisdom, has everything in full control. Even though we try to plan our day 
God is the one who has given us this gift of a brand new day. Every day is an opportunity for him to show us how deep his love is, how powerful forgiveness is, and how wonderful having peace in your heart is. God has given us the original plan. Worship him. He has laid it out for each and every one of us, his original plan. We were created to worship him. All of the things in life that we add on top of and give priority to, I assure you, was not in the mind and the plan of God at the beginning of creation. When he looked at you and said, Brother C.D. Hall, I have a plan for your life. He didn't try to fill in the gaps. He gave you the gift of worship. He wanted us to pursue after something that would allow us to point to him, the creator. It wasn't upon him to say, well, I'm going to distract him with everything else in life, but I'm going to give him a desire to pursue after me. We look at and try to understand the sources of worship. Behaviors have an antecedent, a precursor, a forerunner. There is a trigger to each and every one of our behaviors. Because we worship what we love. We worship what we love. That is why God made it abundantly clear that he needs to be our focus. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, affections are almost impossible to manage if they ever get set upon the wrong thing. That's why addictions are so hard to break. It's because affections are set upon the wrong thing. It is nothing but a God moment that can reach into the heart of someone and begin to break them loose and allow them to attach themselves unto Him. It is only because God has that ability to break the chains of sin that we can loosen the affections of the things of this world and then that we can attach ourselves unto a Savior. You see, God knows what it's like to be in the position just as we are walking on this earth in the fleshly body of Jesus Christ. He was tempted just like us, but yet he embodied the balance in his flesh. He did not succumb to the life of sin, but yet he was an overcomer to it because of the Spirit. You see, from the very beginning, God had already set his affections in alignment from the very beginning with the plan. The plan was you and I. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the spirit that led Jesus was already in love with the people that hated him. Let that sink in for a moment. The spirit that led Jesus was already in love with the people that would scream, crucify him. 
crucify him, nail him to a cross. He was already in love with them. If you're led by him, you'll love like him. We have to be careful what we allow our affections to be anchored to and attached to. In a world that gives us so many distractions, it's easy for us to find something that we can affix time and interest to, and it just takes hold of your life, and that's seemingly all you can do, all you can think about. But in Colossians chapter 3, it says this in verse 2, set your affections, affection on things above, not on things on the earth. We come to this passage of scripture and it was one that leapt to my mind as I began to go through and build this Bible study. It was one that came to mind. You see, the key to a being alive in Christ is being dead to this world. The Apostle Paul continues in this letter in chapter 3 expressing the liberty that is found in death through Christ. And you see in chapter 2, he addresses the death to sin so beautifully. He lays out a clear distinction between the behaviors of the unclean and that of the clean. Those that are willing to be alive in Christ. And it is those behaviors that lead to the privilege that we have today to have peace with God. But that peace with God comes with an obligation to have peace with others. They come hand in hand. They come to where you cannot separate it out and get subpart of peace. You have to accept it in its entirety. In order for you to have peace with God, you have to have peace with every enemy. You have to have peace with everyone that uh, despitefully uses you, talks against you. God will give you that peace against each and every one that you may think is a naysayer against you. In Colossians chapter 3, again, we see in verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. My, my, my. For where God's peace abides, it's where He feels welcome. He has to feel welcome there. You have to invite Him to a place to where peace can come in and soothe the troubled heart. You have to ask him to come to that place and bring his peace. You have to allow him to rule in your hearts. I my. If we look at the following passage of scripture, we see in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, if we are just to stop right there in the phrase that I gave, to let the word of Christ dwell richly in you all, in you richly in all wisdom. You see, the gospel 
is the word of God that has come to us. But it is not enough to just come to us. It has to dwell in us. It has to, as the original talks about, it has to keep house. That's what the word of God must do. The gospel of Jesus Christ must keep house in your heart. Not as a servant in a family, but those who are, or those who are under the another's control. But the word of Christ, but as the master who has the right to dictate the rules of the house, we must take our instruction from the word of God. It is not something that we counsel or consider, but it is something that we live by. It is something that governs the house. You see, someone can come to the door of my home and knock on the door, ring the doorbell, and they can sign up for whatever they want, for whoever is walking by trying to sell something door to door. But I have the ultimate authority, and I can walk in and say, we're not interested. And they can say, but dad or sister Goff can say, but honey, he, it seems like it's a really good deal, but it is me being able to step up and say, listen, no, 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 I'm not going to let that happen. And here's the reasons why. The master of the house is able to step into every situation when he is in full control of your situation. The master of the house can step in and bring peace to the troubled mind. He can restore hope and faith. He can give you a reason to get down and pray. He can give you a reason to get down and worship him. It's because he's the master of the house. But if you don't allow him to maintain full control... That means something else is going to step in the midst of your need and say, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. Why don't I pacify you with this? And they can present distractions at will if you give them a voice. We must take our instructions from the Word of God and let it be our sustenance. For it is the master of the household that provides for the inhabitants. You see in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God makes it very clear, speaking through Jesus Christ, gives us this word that you can only have one master in your life. It is that master that sets the tone of worship and adoration unto him who is the master. You know, if someone else was to walk into my house and sit down at my seat at the table and my family began to serve them food or, or sit on, in my chair in the living room or lay on my side of the bed, we would have a problem. We would have a serious problem. I would have a problem with the person who is there. But I'd also have a problem with who let them, who did not warn them, who did not say, who didn't say, you don't sit there where my daddy sits. 
you don't sit at the head of the table where my daddy sits. This is reserved for someone we love. This is reserved for someone who gets up every day without fail, without fail and takes care of his family. Don't think you can walk into this house and take over and you have it proven yourself. We love our daddy. Why do we let that happen in our hearts? Why do we sublease out something that is so vitally important to our life? Why do we give them a voice when seemingly they have no street cred? They have no ability to appease you. They've never taken care of you one day in your life, but yet you will sit down and you will listen. Here's what it is. The world wants you to die a copy. They want you to be just like them. No peace, no God, no direction. They have nothing in their life worth living for. They feel like they've lost all hope, and they want you to die a copy. Lucifer fell in the most pristine environment, and he wants you to do the very same thing. Don't die a copy. Be a part of the master's original. Allow him to mold you and make you. You cannot serve two masters. You will never be happy. Because it's the word that must dwell in us. That is, be always ready at hand to us. In everything we do, we always reach for him. We always reach out to him. It's never... Uh, my hand slipped off of him. But God must be always in our grasp in a time of trouble. God must be always in our view. He must be always the first option. We must always default to him. Otherwise, you have a master trying to creep in. That's not the one who should be there. You see, we must be more than acquainted with. We must know it for our good. It must dwell in us richly. Not only just to keep house, but to keep a good house. Keep it clean, well maintained, no problems. When you allow the master of the house to dictate all that there is, you don't become just a hollow shell and everything starts to look okay on the outside. But on the inside, it's two by fours that are raw and wires hanging out of, of outlets and lights hanging from the ceiling. And you may look good and the facade may be there, but who's the master of the house? He must dwell in us richly. He must be the master of the house tonight. See, as we read on in the very same passage of Scripture, it talks about this in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And we've said this, this is Scripture. 
Iron sharpens iron. Godly fellowship is the result of a mutual excitement about the saving grace of God, where He can reach in to your life and we get excited about when we sing the song, He set me free. I don't have to sing it, He set you free. He set you free. But He set us all free. And it's beyond that we're free indeed. No more in shame and bondage of sin. We can collectively come and worship the very same thing. That's godly fellowship. But we do not fellowship the personality. I don't fellowship your personality, Brother Hilton. I fellowship because you love him. Because you serve him. That's why a fellowship. Have you ever been around someone that when you left the presence, it just makes you want to live for God even more? That's what I strive to be. That's what I want to be. That's what we should all want to be. I don't want the blood of others upon my ears because someone couldn't stop running their mouth. I want them to sing praises unto God. Magnify him. And when I leave, I say, that's my friend. He's my friend. She's my friend. They serve God with all their heart. I don't have to worry about if they have my back or not. Iron sharpeneth iron. We don't fellowship the personality. Now in this service tonight, in any other service, we'll see people that are hilarious, can tell stories, that can captivate an audience and begin to tell a story and you're hanging on the edge of your seat. Some that may be someone that can um, give you just good old entertainment, but I'm here to tell you today, I don't fellowship with any of you for the, just what you bring from a personality. It's what you make me. Your iron sharpening the iron of my soul and say, and hang in there, Brother Goff. You've got this. I'm praying for you. That's why I fellowship the people of the kingdom of God. That's why there's value in collective corporate worship because we come together and say, you see the song they're singing? I believe it with all my heart. It's true. It's true. He's done it. He's done it for me. He can do it for you. That's what worship does. You may ask yourself, why is it that drama is around someone? And I can tell you why. Because the fellowship is lacking that godly element, that mutual likeness of Christ in their life. If someone always exudes drama, then he is not their priority. And I'll just be honest with you. I really don't want to be around drama. Don't take it personal. So if I excuse myself from your never-ending drama, I am so sorry. Maybe we'll meet better on better terms. Down front where things happen. I don't like drama. I despise it. My children hear it all the time. Stop. Stop. I don't, I'm tired of hearing about it. I don't want to hear this person's name. I don't want to hear what this person did. Stop the drama. You worry about you. Save yourself. But if you let that eat you, guess what it does? It'll take your worship. And it'll just wad it up. And all you have left is nothing but drama. 
Guard your heart because it'll affect your worship. Guard your heart around people that you're around. It'll affect your prayer life. It'll affect your faith. It'll affect your walk with God and you'll be sitting there dying on the vine of the church because you let somebody influence your worship. That all starts with something God-ordained. Fellowship. A godly thing. Don't let something that God ordained destroy your walk with God. Now, Brother Hilton... I know that sometimes you complain about your eyes, and you say, well, I can't see. But you can't wear my eyes. You can't take my glasses and then fix your problems. These are custom made for me. That's fit to my nose, my ears, my face, my vision. My perspective is totally from each and every one of you is seen through these glasses. No one can pick them up and see the world how I see them. But people will try to impose their view, their opinions on others, and expect everybody to see the world the same way. There's only one way you can do that. It's when you view life through this lens right here. That is the only way. How about it that we all take the challenge and we influence the world around us with this? How about we accept the challenge and step up to the plate and say, God, show me the world through your word. Help me see others around me through your word. And here's what it'll do. It'll unlock your prayer life. It'll unlock your faith. It'll give you a worship like you've never seen before. A depth in you because you're looking through the lens that God ordained. Let him be the master of your heart. Refuse to hear the opinions of others about somebody else. Hmm. My, 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 my. But you see, fellowship is not limited to after church. Fellowship is not limited to an evening that you may get together and share a meal and play a game. And fellowship is happening right here in this very moment through the word. God is trying to help somebody through fellowship tonight. God is trying to help somebody work through some issues that's bogged them down even in this very day. God is admonishing you through this simple little Bible study. He's trying to help you. You see, worship is the harmony of what we sing and that the grace of God has given through our fellowship. You see, we don't feast on people, we feast on his word. We don't cheer on the demise of others, we cheer on the success of spiritual growth in the body. A church that has a powerful, godly fellowship, guess what they have? Powerful worship. Powerful prayer. Powerful services. Worship takes more than just corporate fellowship. You know where it starts? At the individual level. That's the success of corporate worship. That's where it all begins. But here's what the world wants you to do. Be a copycat like them. Be a copy. Just be like us. Oh, I don't want to jump ahead, but it's so easy to see some of these churches. That you walk in and the first thing that I look at, what's the worship like? 
If they are all this, swaying like Kansas sunflowers, you know what? You do you, boo, but I'm here to tell you, me personally, I've never felt the presence of God trying to mimic everybody else in the sanctuary, where we just sway in the wind, trying to tap into that overflow that they sing about, barking out hill song songs. And I'm here to tell you, they don't have a move of God. Ah, I took this out of my notes, but we're going to put it back in. I went looking at apostolic services. You know, if they were online, then they were available for me to go and check them out. And so you got to take this for, I'm by no means am I trying to um, destroy what they're doing or trying to, uh, I am going to speak negative about them, but I'm not trying to, I'm not going to name names. We don't always have it together. I'm not the perfect one. But it was service after service of church service, and it was all repetition. Looked like a club. The people were singing uh, songs more about them than they were about him. It seemed like more horizontal worship than it was vertical worship. And it was all about the next steps. Everything's choreographed, and everybody's sitting there. And there's a good thing they have the lights turned off. Because no one was doing anything. Service after service after service. And they had apostolic in their church name. Names that I could call out that many of you would even recognize. And they thought they were worshiping. They thought they were doing something. But sinners walk in and sinners walk out. And they didn't feel anything. And here, I'd prayed that day. God had been on my heart and on my mind. And this message was burning in me. And I began to say, you know what? I wonder what other services are like. And began to look at them and observe. Now, I've been in, like I said, I've been around church many years. At this time, decades and decades have been around church. And I've been in red-hot, fiery apostolic services. Ones that seem like it just peeled the paint off the wall. And beautiful presence of God and healings and signs and wonders. And, and dancing in the Holy Ghost and beautiful works of the Spirit reaching down and touching and changing hearts. And putting lives back together and moms and dads that walked out holding hands, but they couldn't even look each other in the eye before church. That's what the presence of God does. And I see that even in our own sanctuary. Just Sunday night, I was relegated to the room. That room is like a Faraday cage. It keeps things out. It's hard. It's just struggle through. You feel so disconnected. But I was in the room. And as we began to go through worship service, and I'm not hardly ever in there, can hardly even do anything to even qualify to be in there. But they needed somebody to play the maracas on Sunday night. And they called me up from the minor leagues. And I began to watch as the worship service began to unfold. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. I'll use some descriptive words, but don't, it was was in a figurative sense. But to watch the waves of the Holy Ghost come through the sanctuary. And I began to feel the presence of God in the room. And I'm like, wow, this is powerful. And I began to see it wasn't just an individual effort Sunday night. 
But I began to see collectively one person, the next person, and the other person. And I watched someone who was a guest in the house of God stood there, and they went, wow. And they just looked back and forth. You see, that changes hearts. That makes a difference. I didn't see anyone pulling the cans of sunflower trying to worship and find God. But there were hands that had started out down here. And when the word, the spirit of God, I'm sorry, started to move through that worship, hands started to be up here. And there were smiles going across faces. And and it wasn't people leaping for joy because the song says I could dance, dance, dance all night. It was people began to respond collectively to the, the, the words that were being sang in the presence of God. And it was just like an ocean of waves began to come through. And if you didn't feel it, you missed out Sunday night. It was beautiful. God has a plan. I'll tell you how that starts. It starts with a prayer meeting that morning. I'll give you a hot tip, hot tip from Brother Goff, hot tip. If you come to church and then you desire and start to want to feel God, here's the hot tip. You are just like the man on a bicycle or let's just say, you're just like the man on a dirt bike, rolling towards the ramp, trying to kickstart it before the jump. That's all you are. If 7 o'clock prayer, if you're here on time, is where you start to say, all right, let's get God in this day, you missed it. You missed it 100%. You're sitting there rolling towards a ramp saying 7.30 is coming, and you're sitting there going, you can't stop, the church is moving on with or without you. And guess what? It's obvious when people don't make the jump. Guess what? God wants you to make the jump tonight. God wants you to get it started in the morning and go all day long. He wants you to walk into his house and have worship in your heart. Not look at me and Debbie Downer and the world's treating me rough. Let me tell you what, if you're just now talking to him about your day, you better start in the morning. Hit your knees early in the morning. Tell God all about your troubles. Let him step in and fix it before the devil can make a copy of you and make you content with having a bad day don't die a copy you will fulfill his main objective you came to the house of God with a sour look on your face God wants you to come in with joy in your heart peace going through I'm going through I don't care what the rest of the world decides to do. I've made up my mind. I ain't going to turn around. I'm telling you, I am going through. But you can't start that song when you first walk in at 7 o'clock. 10 o'clock or 9.30 on Sunday morning. You can't do it. You're trying to play catch up. You're like, hey, wait for me. Wait for me. But then there's the flip side of this coin. Oh, Bishop, give me a beating like no other if I step out of line here. But there's the flip side of this coin. Where people walk in, 
and they're so spiritual, their feet don't even touch the floor. They flutter up here to the front, flutter to their pew. And I'm going to tell you, Douglas Goff tries to be spiritual, but there is a carnal man inside this body. And guess what? It takes a long runway to get this big old boy off the ground. I can't make it at 7 o'clock prayer and be ready by 7.30. There are times that I am kicking the tops of the trees to get up there with some of y'all. But it blows my mind. I've been around church a long time. Someone you guys don't even know, never heard of, never even seen their face. But I remember going to church with them. And they would sit there on the pew right in the middle of fresh hot prayer meeting before service. People are praying before the Lord, worshiping God before service starts. And they're sitting there in their pew. And they're sitting there speaking in tongues like a Chinaman. And they're looking around. Hey, hey, how are you? And then, oh, oh, hey, here, let me scoot over. And I'm like, how do they do it? How? I had to bury my face in the carpet. I had to get up at whatever time this morning it was just so I could be in the house of God and have something inside of my heart that stirred me to the place where I walked through those doors. I was like, I'm so glad to be in the house of God. It wasn't, man, there's better things I could do tonight. You see, it started that morning. I know the days where it doesn't work out to where I don't get to pray that morning. And I'm like, well, I have to pray when I get home. I can tell you those days, they're not pretty. I struggle. It seems like I am fighting. It seems like I can't get momentum. My day is just off. Because I, it just, yes, Brother Self, you're behind the whole day. It seems like I'm in a canoe that has paddles that have oars that have holes in them and I'm going upstream and it just seems like I cannot get anything going right. But the power of a morning prayer, I would encourage you, if you're in the position that I have been talking about tonight, try Jesus. Try him in the morning time. Try him in the time when he's calling your name. Uh, Bishop, he helped me so much because he mentioned this one time and it stuck in my mind. He says, sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I don't just roll over and, oh, well, I'll just go to sleep. If I can't go to sleep, you know, there's probably a reason. He goes, it's best to just get up and make sure he's not calling your name. Because I can tell you, I am, as I've said, I'm just a man. But there are so many times God will wake me up and I feel like, why am I awake? I don't, even, I don't even have to go to the restroom. This seems like a waste. Look at the time. I got four more hours I could sleep. But then you sit there and you're like, oh, okay. I'll be right back. And you slip out of bed. And you go over and find you a place to pray. And then you understand why God got you up at the time he did. Long before the alarm clock. And then after that, you get into your day. And then you really realize why he did what he did. I've got a gazillion scriptures that we could go through, but I feel like God's trying to help somebody this, this evening because your worship isn't where it's supposed to be at. See, you can't script worship. You can't duplicate worship. And more importantly, you can't fake it. You can't, you can't fake it till you make it. 
It's got to be in your heart. You see, David, prime example, David, we use this man as a great story of his worship. Talk about him worshiping God with all of his might. Here's the beautiful thing when you get into looking into the scriptures. Understand that the ark had left, been captured by the Philistines. Bishop and Brother Hilton talk about it. Eli died. Philistines have the ark. They go and they take it. You jump ahead many, many, many verses of scripture and chapters ahead. We find David grows up. David hears about it. They say, get this thing out of here. Their gods are falling over in their temples, bowing down to the ark. They're seeing the people. and just, I'm jumping. I'm giving you bits and snips of this. The, the place where the ark resided, the house was blessed. Tried to move it, went to another house. The house was blessed. We have Uzziah dies. In between those two, David comes in and says, all right, we're going to do this the right way. We're going to give this the honor it deserves. It's not going to go in an ox cart. It's not going to be pulled by a beast, but we're going to do things the right way. You see, the reason why David could dance before the Lord with all his heart is because he had a sacrifice, he had a trail of sacrifices behind him. And that's why it's so important for you to start your day with a sacrifice. Same God. I give you my day, my time, my heart, my mind, the words of my mouth, the very first things out of my life, I'm giving them to you, and keep it upon my heart all day long. And guess what? You'll be able to walk into the house of God, and you'll feel that stirring in the atmosphere, that pulling upon your heart, God will reach down, and he'll give you that reward of saying, thank you for keeping me first in your day. Thank you for doing that. You see, distractions, distractions. I suffer with distractions because I like to observe detail, make observations from afar. Um, Power of observation is is, is powerful, as I said. Um, But I like to observe things, and that's how you also figure out problems. Things aren't doing things. And here's something that I do personally when I'm observing, no matter what it is, I look for what's not there. And that's how I figure out what's wrong with me. I don't feel the peace of God. Why? Now you can ask yourself why one time and appease that inquiry, but you won't have any resolution. So you can start asking the question why And the idea is, you ask why until you have an actionable, something you can take from that answer. You can use the example of, this person passed away. Why? Well, because no one was there to give them CPR. Why? Well, because they weren't trained. Why? And you can take that five, six, seven layers deep, and you will then begin to understand what the root of the problem is. Do you have peace in your heart? Yes or no? If no, why? But you can also answer the question, yes, and ask yourself, why? Because I've changed the way I used to do things. That's why. I changed the old ways of Douglas K. Goff because I used to do it this way, but now I do it this way. I used to be 
okay with things. I used to accept the result of things that seemingly were out of my control. But when I began to ask uh, the question why, I began to understand the power actually stood within myself to make a difference instead of it being able to be blamed on somebody else. You see, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40, let all things be done decently in order. You see, we have a God that we serve, and he is very specific, very specific. And I have so much to go through. I don't even know where I'm at in my notes because I forgot to put page numbers, but we're just going to try to wrap this up. God is very specific. We have a God that is so specific, he tells us how to tithe how to give offerings. He tells us how to pray. He tells us how to do each and every facet of our life. He's so specific. God is so specific. But yet we have this decision that we make in our life that I can worship God how I feel. But God's specific. You see, a specific God doesn't, doesn't just say, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give that one to you. Why would he do that when that is our sole purpose in life? Worship him. Why would he say, I don't care how you do it, just do it? Have you ever been around someone when they worship God? You may not know them, maybe come into a church service or visit somewhere and you haven't been there before, but you just want to go to church on a, uh, you're on a business trip or vacation and you want to swing in because you want to be on church on Sunday and you walk in and it just feels a little off. You're like, this isn't like home, a little different. That's one side of it. You can also have someone who may worship God and you're like, man, something's off. Something just doesn't feel right. And I'll tell you what I look for. And if Bishop sees anything different, when, when true worship happens, guess what? It begins to trigger the response of others. When someone is a soul actor, guess what it becomes? A one-man show, one-woman show. And you, what you'll do is you'll watch people step back and say, man, I don't feel anything. Just like what happens when you have tongues interpretation in a service. And I've stood there and said, all right, I don't feel anything, but maybe it's me, and I'm going to pray and ask God, God, help me, whatever it is. But then you begin to realize when Bishop maybe doesn't do things the normal way, and handles it a little bit different, or... I've been there when Bishop Howard's, you know, taken control of the microphone and shifted the service like an expert and it just shifts over and then the real word from God comes out. You can also see in Scripture, it was talking about things being done decently and in order. It's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. So if, you, if God is so specific, so careful how the gifts operate amongst us, those words are to edify each and every one of us, edify the body of Christ. Do you think He's not specific how we collectively and individually worship Him? We serve a specific God. If He's so specific about how He is perceived then he's specific about your worship. And sometimes people confuse a loss of control in worship with something that God has ordained. Sometimes, I've seen it over the years, where someone tries to control a service and it's not of God. And it's very apparent. And all they're doing is a major distraction. See, this, this, this old boy, this, this is my flaw. 
And I mentioned this a moment ago. I like to look and observe and pay attention, but that is my downfall. It distracts me from what God is trying to do. So it's very difficult, almost impossible for me to lead a worship service with my eyes open. It is so difficult. How many has never led a worship service from the platform of the pulpit? Raise your hand. Oh my. You guys are missing out. You guys are missing out on a wonderful experience. Wonderful experience, I tell you. I just try it once. And if you're sitting up here like one of the magicians and playing your music, you guys get to observe the same thing. You guys get to see the looks on people's faces. And as a service leader, guess what? You were praying that morning, that afternoon, before church. God, give me the songs. You're there early for practice. You skipped meals. You came straight from work. And you come in, and you're like, got to have a move of God. The word of God's coming. Got to set the stage. These songs need to be aligned with what the man is going to step up and preach. And we're going to have this choreographed worship service unto God. The word and the music and the worship is going to come together. But then we have someone let's just say like Douglas comes in that doesn't want to do anything. You see, then that puts the sole responsibility on him to bring the worship. You see, but if I did none of that, yeah, if I done absolutely none of those things in preparation, if I was to come in and take that approach, I would be ashamed of myself. And I'm trying to talk bad about anybody. I'm just telling you, talking about me. But if I didn't prepare my heart to do what God has asked me to do, and Bishop has said, hey, I want you to do this, or been asked and say, hey, you're leading service, or you're doing this, I would be ashamed of myself. But it doesn't stop there. If you'll do it at church, then you'll do it teaching a Bible study. If if you'll do it there, then you'll do it when you pray. You see, those habits are hard to break. You have to go to where the master of the house resides and say, listen, If you're not God, you're out of here. You need to evict some people in your life. There are leeches that live in your home. They're living rent-free. They're giving their voice, and they're telling you what to say and what not to say. They're telling you what to do and what not to do. But God wants us to be able to break the mold and don't die a copy. Because the world would like nothing more than for this church to copycat everything else. Guess what we have? We have worship here. We have prayer in this house. We have a phenomenal Bible teacher and the Word of God that can come forth and speak to hearts. Not every church has that. You can just go visit and go say, I'm going to go visit another apostolic church. And you'll realize just how shallow Just because they have the label apostolic, just how shallow they are. We are a blessed people. But see, there's so many examples we can draw from where God is trying to get us to that place. And man, there are scriptures, and I begin to look at worship within the New Testament. It's like, so what's out there for New Testament worship? And there's a few scriptures But there is a never-ending slew, it seems like, of scriptures that say, pray without ceasing. Pray always. 
Be about your day always with prayer. And I could go through and I could read them one after another. Pray always. Cease not to give thanks. Make mention of you in my prayers. That's Ephesians chapter 116. But giving ourselves continually to prayer and ministering of the word. Not one of the times that I find, I didn't see it as an overwhelming majority where it's, we need you to cut a rug to be saved. Guess where that, that worship starts? Prayer. That's where you worship. If you're dead and dry and you don't feel anything when you come in here, if Sunday night you were here and you didn't feel what I saw and felt, let's start praying. You can do this. You can feel the presence of God. Let God pour you out in an apostolic service and you'll begin to feel him like never before. The Bible tells us continue in prayer. Watch in the same time with thanksgiving. Pray without ceasing. Here's the key. If the musicians would come, here's the key to all of this. If God is going to admonish us, ask us to pray without ceasing, guess what he's willing to do? He's willing to minister and talk to us likewise. He's willing to encourage us and lift us up. He's not going to tell us to do something that we don't get something in return. If he says, I want you to pray without ceasing, uh, uh, always commit yourself to prayer, always be committed to worshiping him and thanksgiving and, and continue in prayer. And Man, there's so many remembrance in prayer day and night. And there's a reason. Because he wants to hear your voice. You can do this. If I can do this, you can do this. I, as a young man, would have to go and pray and repent because of things I did as a young man before I could get up on the drums. And I did that service after service. I was a hypocrite. Yes, hypocrite. If I can turn that boat around yes. to where I long for the mornings, he's waking me up again. He did it again. I don't glory in it, but I step into his presence and say, God, thank you for doing it. And I'll tell you this, every time he wakes me up, and no matter what time it is, he gives me the strength like I slept through the night. I'm not sitting there, oh, I could barely make it. I don't know what I'm going to do about work. When I give it to him, say, God, you're wanting to talk to me. <laughs> See, God needs more time with this old boy than probably most people. And it's those quiet times in the house where I kneel down at that ottoman and bury my face and begin to talk to him. If he can turn me around, there is hope for every man, every woman, every young person. It doesn't matter who you are. If he can get me out of that funk, that cycle I was in, where I had to repent just to be able to feel like I could do something in the church. Because of the chains and the baggage I drug in. If I can turn that around and I'm nothing great, nothing spiritual, y'all know me. But if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. God's trying to reach for somebody tonight. But he, all he does is ask for our all. Let the words of my mouth as we stand today, I know we're a few minutes over, but I think if you will respond, and I'm going to give you a time, a few moments of prayer, because here's the deal. We may be a few minutes over nine, but I think somebody's eternity will be impacted if they'll take a moment and say, God, I need your help. 
if you will help me through this, what Brother Goff says, if he can do it, I can do it. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, last passage of scripture. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. God wants to help you. You just have to let him. Do you get tired of a struggle where you feel like you can't get any momentum? I've been there. You're not alone. But guess what? You have godly fellowship in the house tonight. You have been looked at by the word of God tonight. There is hope for your situation. God can turn your life around and give you depth. And you will appreciate the house of God and his word like never before. I think it would be good if we were to all find us a place to pray. And if we would just ask God to give us strength and help us in this situation. God will give you the help you need. Hallelujah. Thank you, Master.